This episode is supported by Jace Medical. You may or may not know that in December, drug shortages across the U.S. hit a record high. This is causing severe disruptions in medical treatments, resulting in delays, treatment cancellations, and the unfortunate rationing of vital medications. I know that I have heard in the last few months from multiple mom friends of mine, instances where they have not been able to get medications for themselves or for their children in critical crisis moments. This is so, so scary. I know I've had friends with their kids having seasonal flu cold symptoms, struggling to breathe, and they're at urgent care and unable to get the antibiotics that they need because of these shortages. This is scary stuff. Most notably, one of the short supply antibiotics is amoxicillin, which is commonly used for so many of our children's illnesses. So here's where Jace Medical comes in. They have the Jace case, which is a personalized emergency medication kit that contains five essential antibiotics that are used for the most common and deadly bacterial infections. And you can also customize your case and add additional life-saving medications based on your or your children's family's unique needs, like an EpiPen, for example, something that you would never want to be without, would never want to have to run from pharmacy to pharmacy in pursuit of. So if you want to go get these medications and have your antibiotics on supply so that you always have them when you need them in case of an emergency, in case of a disaster, in case of being a, you know, a victim of this drug shortage, Jace Medical will have you covered. All you need to do is go to jacemedical.com and enter the code SHAMELESS at checkout for a discount on your order. That's promo code SHAMELESS at jacemedical, J-A-S-E medical.com, jacemedical.com, code SHAMELESS. This is the Shameless Mom Academy, episode 819 with Dr. Angela Loria. Show notes for this episode, including any links mentioned in the episode, can be found by going to shamelessmom.com and clicking on episode 819. Welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm your host, Sarah Dean. I'm here to give you and other passionate, driven, unapologetic moms tools, resources, and a little bit of humor to help you lead more positive, powerful, and purposeful lives every damn day. One of the best things about the Shameless Mom Academy is our community, so be sure to join us in our free private Facebook group to connect with other shameless moms just like you. You can find us over at shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook. All right, let's dive into today's episode. Dr. Angela E. Loria is the founder of the Author Incubator and the creator of The Difference Process for writing a book that matters. In 2018, The Author Incubator was ranked number 275 on the Inc. 500 Fastest Growing Companies and number 87 on Entrepreneur Magazine's Entrepreneur 360. Angela won the Stevie Awards Coach Mentor of the Year Award and her program, The Author's Way, was named Coaching Program of the Year and she was named by Entrepreneur Magazine as one of the top 10 most inspiring entrepreneurs to watch, one of only two women. So I have been watching Angela work online for years. I've seen her work, especially around how she supports authors and helps authors get their work into the world. And I've known she was this very incredible human. So as we've kind of circled each other through mutual friends, I've been keeping a closer and closer eye on her work. And I always have had a sense that she could be a great guest for the show, but about a year ago, I think it was, that I started noticing she was showing up differently online, and on her personal Facebook page, she was talking a lot about this diagnosis that she got when she was 39 years old. So when she was 39, she was diagnosed with autism, and she started talking about this through these autism diaries that she put up um, in these long posts on her personal Facebook page, and I could not stop reading them. I learned so much from her. And I was able to see the world through her eyes in such incredibly powerful and profound ways because she's an amazing writer, of course. And the way that she lets people in is just really, really beautiful and incredibly powerful. So she was writing these posts about how she experiences the world as a person with autism and also what that's looked like over the course of her life. And as I was learning so much from her, I was like, okay, I have to get up the nerve to ask her to come on the show. And I was a little hesitant because I was like, she's real awesome. <laughs> she might be like, I'm too busy. But luckily, she said yes. And we had an incredible conversation. So listen in to hear Angela share what led to her autism diagnosis at the age of 39, how her diagnosis allowed her to feel like she could finally start her life and her career, what masking is and how people with various neurodivergences mask in order to fit into the world, how she learned to set boundaries in order to self-regulate in a world that's not designed for people with autism, why labeling autism or any neurodivergence or a person with disabilities or differences as a person with superpowers is inappropriate and leads to quote-unquote inspiration porn, how the brain of a person with autism differs from an 
holistic, which means non-autistic brain in terms of how the brain integrates information and what self-care looks like for a person with autism or might look like for a person with autism and how it might look really different than self-care looks for you or for other holistic people. Oh, this was an incredible conversation. Angela was so generous and transparent and just shared so much that I know will open your eyes, not just to Angela's story, but I think it will also open your eyes to giving people in this world more consideration as you watch the people around you navigate the world, because you just never know what other people are taking in when you're in shared spaces. And recognizing that people are taking in things differently all the time and have different needs in any given moment when we're sharing space or sharing worlds or sharing professions or office space or homes or anything like that, I think creates so much opportunity for curiosity and compassion and connection in ways that we might not currently be considering. So I know you're going to learn a lot today. Take a few notes. Please listen to this episode more than once if it's something that you feel like you really want to integrate into your life in different ways. And please, please share it out. I'm just every day I feel like when I get on social media, I'm seeing more and more people and women who are being diagnosed with autism later in life. This is going to keep happening. And I think that it's part of our responsibility as kind humans to continue to learn about everyone around us. So with all that said, please join me in welcoming Dr. Angela Loria to the Shameless Mom Academy. Angela, welcome to the Shameless Mom Academy. I'm so thrilled to have you here. I'm so excited to be here. Finally. I know. Finally. We both had like very legitimate reasons to reschedule this interview today. And we both were like, no way, because it took us so long to schedule it. <laughs> we showed up for each other. Totally. Totally. I love it. So I have been following your work online for quite some time and I've loved watching the evolution in terms of how you show up, what you share. I started out really watch learning from what you were doing in in terms of teaching authors and helping authors write books. And I knew people who'd gone through some of your programs around that, but over the last few years, you've made a really intentional shift to share more about your personal life on social media and talk about how that integrates into your work. And that's where I was like, oh my goodness, please come on the show and talk about this because this is really, really critical information for shameless moms to know, of course, but I think for all humans to know. So Mm. that's kind of our starting point today. I want you to let go ahead and dig in and tell us where you're at right now, kind of beyond your bio and what you want to share in terms of how you're showing up in the world and anything that you're excited about. Yeah. So I think like a good background for this is I am one of the rare unicorn species that does work that I went to school and got a degree in. So it is rare. It happens. Yes. So I was journalism major. I went to school in Washington, DC, and I had amazing professors and I got recommended for this job working for a New York times bestselling author my senior year and started working part-time and then got a full-time job. And I worked a whole bunch of jobs in publishing. So from editing to writing, but also doing promotional stuff. And I worked for a literary agent. I worked for a publishing company. I was a ghostwriter. I worked for an almanac gathering facts, like before the internet. So I have been in books since 1994, which is when I graduated from school. And I know We're going to talk about how my work has shifted now, but the first big shift that happened. So I started working hourly. I was a freelancer. That's pretty common for writers. Actually, I paid my way through graduate school by writing other people's term papers for $10 a page. Brilliant. Use your skills, people. Use your skills. Yes. And then when I was 39 and I'd been in publishing for like 19 years, I think 17 years, a long time, had a career, had done... I think I'd worked on 56 books. I had ghostwritten 29 on all sorts of topics, pretty much all nonfiction, worked on a couple of fiction books, but mostly my expertise is in nonfiction. And then through a very strange turn of events, which was from reading a book, I was diagnosed as autistic. Mm. And my whole life, I had always felt different. I always had these like social communications challenges. I always had these people would always like talk about me in my family. Like she's, Mm -hmm. I thought I was the black sheep, Mm -hmm. right? Like, so people would always, I would bring over a friend and my family would pull them aside and be like, do you know what Angela's like? Or like good with Angela. Like I was was always whispered about in hushed tones. (laughs) Like, Mm -hmm. 
And then I read this book and I was like, holy shit. It was a autism memoir sort of thing. And I was like, oh my God, I think I'm autistic. And I ended up getting diagnosed and so many people, and I think this is a big Instagram thing, a big coaching thing. So many people had told me like, you're good enough. Love yourself. You're perfect. Just the way you are. Like, you know, all those platitudes. Right. Right. And I kept trying to do that and it didn't work. And when I got my diagnosis, it was the first time I really loved myself. Cause it was like, knew I wasn't her. Like I knew I wasn't what everybody else meant when they said you're good enough. I do think I'm good enough, right. but like, I kept trying to say to people like, something's wrong. I'm different. I'm doing this different than you. I'm getting different results. And I was always told like, don't worry about it. So my diagnosis was actually a really happy thing Mm. for me. Yeah. And I was like, oh, my whole life makes so much more sense now. Yeah. It sounds like it was really validating. It was so validating Mm. because I just felt like everyone who was trying to be nice and people still do this to anybody with autism, you know, they'll be like, you don't look autistic. It's like, okay, have a look, but thanks. Yeah. So they're trying to be nice. But anyway, when Mm -hmm. I got my diagnosis, it was the first time I finally felt like my life could start. All of those years of working on books, I never really counted them. It was like, I never really got a job after college I just bounced from one freelance position to another. I was making $10 an hour at the beginning. 20 years later, I was making $50 an hour, but they were all these part-time jobs cobbled together. And the way I explain this is I felt like I was a dog sitter or pet Mm. sitter. Like no matter where I went, I would get these amazing ghostwriting jobs. I would get book writing jobs. Like I would get all these jobs, but I was like, that's just like anyone would pick up a pet sitting job. You know, you're on vacation and someone's like, oh, you could stay at our house and watch our pets. And I never gave myself any credit for building skills or a career. I was just waiting for the day when I grew up and I solved all my, the way I'd looked at it is I had a bad personality and I was going to solve my bad personality problems and then my life could start. And instead I got an autism diagnosis and I felt like my life, I was like, finally, I'm an adult now. And that is when I started my business. So I started the author incubator. And then we have a publishing imprint called difference press. And this word has a lot of meaning now, but I was pretty unmasked. Like, it's not like I talked about it all the time, which I do now, as you will be hearing. It wasn't like I talked about it all the time, but I wrote about it. I told people like people knew it wasn't a secret. I wasn't ashamed. It didn't seem like a main topic. But I really got my legs under me as I started to understand, okay, now that I'm autistic, I can explain this is why I'm doing it this way. Or one of the things about autism is we have special interests. And so I was like, oh, books are my special interests. That's Mm -hmm. why I'm so good at ghostwriting books. That's why I'm such a good editor. Like I can see patterns and I have systems that I super easily build and they're better than most people's systems. So I hate to use the word superpower, but this is definitely a skill that comes with autism. It has Mm -hmm. many downsides and many upsides. And I was able to like lean into that skill. Mm. So I think the reason I built my business so quickly and the reason I was so successful is I am really good at what I do. Like I still work with people on their books. I've worked on over 2000 books now, like a solid body of actual expertise, which I think is a thing that, you know, maybe a lot of people when they're starting their business, they don't have 20 years, 56 books, some amazing mentors, times bestsellers. Like I had a lot of experience. And then I also had a trust in myself that there was something unique and special about that experience because I was autistic and I look at things differently. When people have 15 book ideas, they rattle them off and I can, I can be like, these five things go in the book. This is a second book. This is not a book at all. I can read a book before you've written it. If we have a one hour conversation, I can literally picture your whole book. I know what goes on every page, where it goes. Every person listening is now like, I'm pretty sure I want to write a book. (laughs) It's very cool. Cause if you're, and a lot of my clients, it turns out are ADHD 
and raising my hand on that one. And also like, I want to write a book and sitting and writing for three years is sounds real, real hard with ADHD. Really hard. It is really hard because you get so many more ideas in and then you're like, write that one or should I write this one and write a book quickly? I know we have a mutual friend who did a program that I do called three days to done Mm -hmm. where you draft your whole book in three days. And it's actually easier to do. It's not good. It's not final. It's not publishable. It needs a lot of editing, but we get the whole thing out. We'll get 20,000 words out and we'll know what we need to go back and fill in. So it becomes like when you're doing connect the dots or a paint by numbers, at first you can't see what the picture is. Yeah. You have a draft manuscript. You're like, oh, I know what this book is now. And then as ideas come in, you're like, oh, that's not this book. Or, oh, that goes in chapter four. So this is like, I'm so good at this. And it's partly from now 30 years of experience, but it is from my autism. That's why I was good at it. And all those jobs that seemed like pet sitting, I'm like, oh, they weren't pet sitting. It was that I have this pattern matching skill and I have these systems that I'm building, but I didn't know that's what I was doing. So Mm -hmm. people were hiring me because I would explain some thoughts or just be having casual conversation and they'd be like, oh, well, I just want her to do my book. Like, well, Mm -hmm. you just write it. And I was like, sure. Like, oh my gosh, I just need to talk to you for a few hours and then I can write your book. So that was pretty cool. Then what is happening now, which I'm most excited about and there's a couple of reasons for this, but a lot of it is I just turned 50 and Yay, happy my, 50th. I know. It's so exciting. And my baby is going off to college in a year. So it's sort of this empty nest. Mm. I know like a lot of moms will say, this is my turn now. It's been yeah. my turn the whole time, but um, it's your turn is, again. <laughs> it's my turn again. Cause me, <laughs> but I'm really shifting my work to focus on neurodivergent people. I've got a new book coming out. That is book writing for people who are dyslexic, ADHD, people who are autistic, and really leaning into applying these skills to a community that I feel a lot of affinity for. So our business has always been focused on marginalized people. So most of our clients are queer, people of color, people with chronic illness, people with um, neurodivergences, but I'm focusing more and more in that space because For me, I find being in spaces with people who are neurodivergent makes me feel like I'm giving back to my community as well. So yeah, absolutely. satisfying. You mentioned a couple of words that I want to go back to that I think are really helpful or will be helpful for people listening. So you mentioned the word that you, you mentioned that you have been pretty unmasked across Mm. your life. Can you talk about, because for people who haven't, who aren't familiar with neurodivergence, this is a really important terminology, like key around awareness for folks who have anything on the spectrum of neurodivergence and how they have to show up in the world in sometimes very exhausting ways. So talk about masking, unmasking a little bit. Yeah. Well, so I have always been queer and my family kind of knew it, but the feeling was like, don't ask, don't tell. It was like something mm-hmm. I would talk about. And like, mostly that was okay. But it was sort of awkward, but it was sort of tiring, but whatever. Mostly it didn't come up. It was like past the peas, whatever. And if you think about the concept of being in the closet as a gay person, that's sort of what masking is like just at a high level. So the world is neurodiverse. Every single person is part of a neurodiversity tapestry. It's a garden. All of our flowers are different. Everyone has different needs. But when you are neurodivergent, meaning when you are in the non-typical reactions, the way that you process sensory data, light, sound, noise is off of the curve. So for me, if you go into a movie that might be a normal sound for you, it might be crazy loud for me and throw me into a panic attack. What happens when you're masking is you just want to act like everyone else. It's sort of like I was queer, but I knew my parents didn't want to bring it up. So I just didn't bring it up. So I just like went along. And if it was inconvenient, well, it's on me, whatever. But this with neurodivergence and particularly with autism, and I have a lot of sensory needs, one of two things would happen before I knew I was autistic. 
One is, as an example, the sound would be really loud. I wouldn't realize it, but the sound would be making me anxious and creating all mm-hmm. this anxiety. And then somebody would say to me, like, do you want a sip of my soda? And I would completely yell at them or freak out or cry. And maybe you've had a friend like this who they're like, their reaction doesn't match the situation. That was basically an autistic meltdown. What had been happening mm. is I had been masking. This sound is too loud for me. I'm uncomfortable. Anxiety is building up. I would like to leave. I didn't even see those things. Mm. And so all of a sudden, this tiny little question, instead of just saying yes or no, I would throw this whole tantrum and get kicked out or get fired or get mm. somebody who didn't want to be friends with me anymore. Yeah. It didn't match up. So when I got my diagnosis, I was like, oh, I hate loud sounds. You know what I'm going to do? Take earphones when I go earplugs, when I go to the movies, or maybe I won't go to the movies as much. And so when I say I was living unmasked, what that meant was like, I wasn't just pretending to be okay. Here's an example. Like as a coach, I run a lot of events. One of the things that is really And I hate admitting this, but I don't love hugging. Hey there, I'm Debbie Reber, the founder of Tilt Parenting and the author of the book, Differently Wired. The mission of Tilt is to change the way neurodivergence, whether that's having a learning disability, having ADHD, being gifted, autistic, or some combination of all of the above, is perceived and experienced so differently wired kids and the parents like us raising them can truly thrive. On the Tilt Parenting Podcast, I get to talk with authors, therapists, educators, and parenting experts who are committed to this mission. I ask the questions my listeners are most curious about when it comes to supporting our kids. And in turn, my guests share strategies for challenges, out-of-the-box ideas for navigating school, best practices for therapies, tips for advocating, and so many thoughtful insights on what it really takes to help our kids grow up feeling seen and respected so they can create awesome lives for themselves. I know that raising a differently wired kid can feel overwhelming and isolating, but I promise you, you are not alone and it can feel so much better. If you're on this parenting journey, come listen to Tilt Parenting. Together, we can shift this paradigm and show up for our exceptional kids with hope, possibility, and joy. Lynn, this time of year, parenting can be such a fluster clucks. You've come to the right place. I'm Lynn Lyons, and I've been treating anxious families for over 30 years. I'm Lynn's sister-in-law and co-host Robin Hudson. Join us for Fluster Clucks, a podcast for parents who worry. Wait, that's everybody. Yeah, these last few years have felt like one long anxiety attack for so many. Why do you think parents are always surprised that a podcast about anxiety relates to them, even if no one in their house has an anxiety disorder? Well, worry is human. Everyone does it. And anxiety shows up when we face uncertainty. All the parenting tips you've taught me have been essential. I love to break it down into skills we need to manage worry in our families. We've covered so many topics, depression, burnout, meltdowns, perfectionism. Don't forget scary mothers-in-law. Right, but of course that's not my mother-in-law. Because that's my mother. And a listener. As a psychotherapist, I like to teach parents and kids how to respond to everyday moments in healthy ways. Managing anxiety really can be taught. It really can. And I'll even tell you what to say. We talk about serious stuff, but without being too serious. Anxiety wants everything serious. Anxiety doesn't stand a chance when we're laughing, even about the tough stuff. I don't love being. I'm excited to hear you talk about this. I think this is really important. And I know I fail in this area. So keep going. (laughs) Okay. People smell all different ways. Mm -hmm. And I'm super sensitive to smells. Mm -hmm. People have different like grips. Their clothes sometimes are like scratchy, like lacy. I don't like their fabrics next to my cheek. Sometimes they loud talk in my ear. And also, I just don't know it's coming. And I just don't really like to be touched. I'm not, I'm just not into the touchy, but I love things like most autistic people. We like to control chaos. So Mm -hmm. I love things that are scheduled and I love knowing what's coming. So if you grab me in the hotel and the like lobby and 15 people hug me in the lobby, I would like to die. I will need for a week. It's not okay. But I created my events. And what I would say at the beginning of the event, these are in-person events is I want to make sure I don't miss the opportunity to hug everyone and get a selfie with everyone. So what we're going to do 
is everyone's going to come up on the stage. The person next to you is going to take a selfie. So show them right now how to use your camera. You're going to hand them your camera. Everybody's going to form a line. Here's how we're going to do this. And everyone would get their picture taken. I would hug everyone. There was music and I was completely prepared. Hmm. This is 20 minutes of hugging in pictures. Totally fine. Then on all of my break, and like, I think people judge me about this, but like I knew it was a way for me to protect my energy. On my breaks, I would have staff members come on my right and my left, and they would take me to a green room so that nobody could grab me and hug me. I knew if I got a whole bunch of random hugs, it'll mess up my teaching into a meltdown. I could go into some sort of sensory overload. A lot of autistic people, including me, have digestive issues. I could end up missing the second half of the event in the bathroom. So I knew how to set things up. And then I would tell people like, this wasn't a secret. I would be like, Hey, I'm autistic. So I hate random hugs, but I want to make sure I hug everyone. So here's a way to do it. That's safe for me. That is unmasking. Like that is just, I would tell people when it was relevant. Now I tell people more because I think of myself as an autism activist. So I talk about it and kind of advocate for other people, but I was learning. And honestly, it took me a good eight years of learning how to advocate for myself and what accommodations I needed and how to ask for them and how to deal with the fact sometimes people got pissed off or sometimes people be like, I think she uses her autism just to avoid having to talk to us at break and learning how to, you know, process all of that. It was a long time. That's why I didn't I think a lot of people get diagnosed and become an autism activist like the next day or an advocate the next day. Right. Like for me, it was 10 years before I felt qualified to call myself an advocate. It's there are a lot of skills to learn. Oh my goodness. I love that example that you shared about having people line up, telling them exactly what to do. I can see 100% how that would be. I want, I was going to say calming to you, but like your nervous system, because you know what to expect, that would be the word is regulating. Yes. Yes. So that keeps Mm -hmm. you regulated, but it's also a gift to everyone else. When you, when someone sets a structure and then everyone's like, Oh, great. That's how it's going to work. Like it's answering questions for everyone else when they're like, Oh, I want to make sure I meet her. I want to make sure I get a hug. I want to get a picture. Like you have to just answer you can go through the whole event being like, I wonder if I get a hug. I wonder if yes. I get a picture. I should grab her now. I don't want to miss yeah. the chance to get a picture. I said yeah. it first. I think it's like a gift. I think it makes so much sense. I also think that when you do something like that and you give people the, like, instead of just saying like, this is what we're going to do, but you also say, we're going to do this because of this, because this is what I need. And when you're that explicit, I think that it gives other people permission to set boundaries in a really similar way. And I don't think we see that very much as women. I think for women, we are very conditioned to not setting boundaries for ourselves, to showing up and like giving other people permission to do whatever they want with us, to showing up and meeting their needs versus our own. And so to see someone get up and do that, especially someone in a leadership role or in a mentorship or coaching role is this huge learning opportunity for everyone else to then go do the same thing in their environments. Yeah. I think that's true. And I also want to give a realistic picture here because when you set boundaries, whether you're autistic or not, people don't always like it. True. Yeah. Like I have definitely seen shit posting about me. That's Mm. like, she had her minions whisk her away. So we couldn't ask her questions. And Mm. like I did hours and hours and hours of Q and a, but I'm not the most approachable person. Like Mm -hmm. I'm not the most available, but Mm -hmm. also like, I know what happens to me when I kind of give too much. Yeah. Yeah. I think people will say things like you have to set boundaries and you have to know what works for you. And then you do that. And people don't always like, they're not like, Oh, good for her for setting boundaries. Cause they're like, I wanted more than I got. So I think there's two pieces of it. And this is what I always tell people when they're newly diagnosed, like before you tell people, you need to know what you need, but you also need to be in a place where you can accept the fact that people may not be happy with it. Yeah, 100%. I want to talk about another word that you used. You used the word superpower. And right Mm -hmm. away, I was like, oh, we got to go back to that. You mentioned like, I'm not, I don't want to use this word or I don't usually, you said something about it. We're like, you're like, we're not, this is not the conversation that we're going to have. But we're going to have the conversation in the context of why are we not having the conversation that autism is my superpower or ADHD is my superpower. 
your people aren't watching, yeah. can't see your I'm making just, faces. Yes, at you. You're making faces, sticking out your tongue. So you have to share this with us because this is super, super important. I think in neurodivergence, in people with all sorts of other who experience the world differently in so many different capacities. Yeah. Well, here's the thing is to me, when you say superpower, it's like, oh, you're so lucky you're autistic. And I'm like, really? Yeah, really, because try being me when I am trying to accomplish a task like cooking or driving or making a phone call, like a customer service phone call can take me a week that I have to like prepare myself, do the call, nap afterwards. Like there are so many things that are hard about being autistic. I've been fired so many times. People like really misinterpret what I say, which is like a big part of being autistic. Superpower to me is like turning it into some sort of inspiration porn. Like you're so lucky. And it's really much more complicated and multi-layered than that. But there are good things and bad things, just like with you, just like with any, actually, I know this with deaf people, deaf people, there are some things that they love about being deaf because people are like noisy and loud and annoying and they they don't have to worry about that. Right. So like, of course there will be pros and cons of anything because we are human beings, but I don't think I'm better because I have autism. I don't think it's a superpower. I think it is just part of who I am that I have to deal with. And I'm going to hopefully lean into the good things and manage to the best of my ability, the bad things. And yeah, that's kind of how I think about it. I appreciate that so much. I actually had someone a couple, a number of years ago, I was asking about interviewing her. She had a toddler at the time who has Down syndrome. And when I reached out to her, I said something along the lines of, I would love to interview you. I would love for you to share your daughter's story. I think it would be really inspirational. And now when I think about that email, I'm like, oh my God, I just want to die. But she was really great about like, hey, I'm open to this conversation. And P.S., can we talk about your message? (laughs) And she was really nice about it. But she said like, my daughter's story is not my story. So we can have a conversation about what it's like for me to be her parent, a parent with a child with Down syndrome. Also, my daughter is not an inspiration. And I love that you use the word inspiration for him. Like she's not an inspiration. She is a person who is living her life under different conditions than you live your life. That's not being an inspiration. Right. Um, And she just said all these things straight. And I was like, of course, so uncomfortable and embarrassed, but it was such a good check for me to change verbiage and how you talk about things and how you like put people on platforms that they did not ask for that you shouldn't be doing. Right. And while trying to be nice. Yeah. Right. Like you're, you, I mean, well-meaning is so hard because it's like, it feels worse if it's ill-intentioned. You weren't like, I guess we could talk about your dumb kid. Like it wasn't like you were, but it's still really painful and it makes you feel unseen. Yeah. Like, and then she had to do the work and the education and like all this stuff to take care of me and educate me on the back end, which Mm -hmm. like, that's not fair. Right. Like she had some other things to do with her time. Yes, now, yes. this is one of the reasons why I'm focusing on autism advocacy right now, because I feel like now 11 years into my diagnosis, you know, million dollar business. I am a white lady who presents as straight. Like I have a lot of privilege. There are a lot of people who are much more tired than me and don't have the resources as me. So I'm like, let me take on some of the load of explaining what autism is and isn't and what my experience is and what some of the newer research shows, because like I have that bandwidth right now. And there have been times in my life where I sure haven't. And there are lots of people who don't. Yeah. So that makes sense. I think that's like a different thing, but like when I was first diagnosed and everyone is asking me, I'm like, I don't know anything. I was reading the wrong books. I didn't understand the research, the half the things I was saying, like, we think just because someone's autistic, when you get your diagnosis, they don't give you like 20 years of data of like research. You don't know anymore when you're diagnosed. So same thing, like, you know, 
if you're a queer person, that doesn't mean you understand queer philosophy, queer theory, the whole history of Stonewall, like, or how every per- queer person in the world experiences the world. <laughs> how every queer person feels. Yeah, exactly. So it's hard to have to do that advocacy work when you're also dealing with the bullshit. Absolutely. One of the things you've done in your advocacy over the last, I don't know how long it's been year ish, maybe, but maybe longer yes. than that, you can correct me is on Facebook. You have your autism diaries and these entries are they're long Facebook posts. And oh my gosh, I mean, like every single one is like an entire college course on what it is like for you, not necessarily for every person, but for you to navigate the world as a person with autism. And those posts are, they feel like such a gift because again, like you don't owe that to anyone, but the learning that takes place in reading those posts and in reading the comments after is a massive gift to the world. Can you talk a little bit about writing those posts and that, that commitment that you've made? Yeah. Well, that's a fun one. Do you do the word of the year thing when people, because I can never pick one and then I get mad and (laughs) And then you change it halfway through yes, the year. Yes, yes. So my word of the year is unmask. Mm. And like I said, I felt like I was pretty unmasked. So when I picked that word, it was like part of me still felt like there are places where I'm covering shit up. Mm. And what if I challenge myself to unmask a little more. And so part of how I'm doing that is I'm writing when I am like, oh, here's an autistic thing. Here's an autistic reaction. I am writing in my journal. I write every day, but I'm writing in my journal just like it was for me, not thinking about the reader, which is not how I normally write. Like when I write my journal, I'm just writing for me. When I write a normal Facebook post, I have a reader avatar in mind. I have a thesis statement. I am like writing for the reader, but this is just like me processing my thoughts, me, myself, and I, and I decided to put those up online. And so, yeah, it's been super vulnerable. They're shit. I normally would not have shared before. And the weirdest thing this is not what you asked, but it is a very interesting, weird thing. The number one comments I get are from moms who identified something in my post that tipped them off that their kid might be autistic. Mm-hmm. And I've had 20 or 30 people tell me they they got a diagnosis for their kid because of those posts. I am wow. not writing them for moms. I wasn't right. thinking of moms. Like that is not my avatar. And so many moms, and it's often adult kids. Mm-hmm. They'll be like, daughter is 32. Mm-hmm. I never liked her. I always wish she was like the other girls. I never wanted to tell her. And when I read your posts, I totally understood how I had everything she was doing wrong. This makes so much more sense to me. I talked to her about it and I found out she actually got diagnosed five years ago and didn't feel like she could tell me. Wow. Like, so somebody else today messaged me for, and her son got his diagnosis today. She was like, I feel so bad for like pushing him to do stuff. Mm. What did she say? And I was like, she's like, uh, so many thoughts go through my head about when he was little. I thought he was being defiant for not doing things like other kids when in fact he didn't understand why he was supposed to do it. And I was like, no guilt allowed. You did your best. So much new research has come and now you get to move on. So exciting to me. Mm-hmm. It's just like so much freedom when you're like, oh, I had a swan. I thought I had a duck. This makes much <laughs> more sense. Totally. Totally. I have a really close friend who has a son who for a number of years, they thought they knew he had ADHD and anxiety and the symptoms were like all very consistent with that, but they had a really hard time meeting his needs in various different schools that were specifically for like kids with this and that, and some learning disabilities, like all the things they would go to all these specialized programs and like nothing seemed to fit right. And when I think it was when he was 12, he was assessed for autism and she was nervous going into it, but she was also like, I kind of hope this is the thing. And so then they got the diagnosis that yes, he has autism and I was asking her how she felt about that. And she said there was so much, she felt guilty because there was so much relief in it. And now they've been able to 
do all sorts of things to better accommodate what he needs. Identify his needs. Yes. And he is thriving. Like they had 10 years of not feeling like they could figure anything out or have any success. And now he's totally thriving. He's like enjoying school. He's making friends. He's actually like in school away from the household at a fairly young age. And that is like, was a huge decision for them as parents. And also it was absolutely the best thing for him. And so it's interesting when you say like parents connecting dots, I think sometimes that can be scary and overwhelming. And oh my gosh, like to your point, like I thought I had a duck and it was actually a goose. It can also, I think, create a totally new and different way to help your child navigate the world and like be their actual selves. Yeah. Which is what you want them to be happy and you want them to be successful and you want them to be authentically expressed. And none of that is going to happen by trying to force a round peg into a square hole or whatever. Absolutely. Square peg into a round hole. Yes. (laughs) Hi there. I'm Andrea Owen, self-help author with 19 translations of my books, global keynote speaker, and life coach. My podcast, Make Some Noise, has been serving up self-help in a simple-to-digest way for the last decade. The topics brought in each episode are practical and easy to implement around topics such as working through fears that keep you stuck, different modalities of therapy, managing your negative self-talk, and more. We bring you guest experts, solo episodes, and I even coach listeners on the air around relatable struggles. I also do my best to weave my sense of humor into some heavy topics because let's face it, life can be pretty hard and it's so much better when we can have some fun while walking through our challenges. Whether you're seasoned in personal development or just starting out, Make Some Noise podcast will help you become the best version of yourself, the person you're proud of when you look in the mirror and show up in your life. Simply search Make Some Noise with Andrea Owen wherever you listen to your podcasts. When it comes to raising kids, there's so much to consider. Things like, what do we feed them? When do we feed them? How do they sleep? What does it look like to raise kind kids? How does their nervous system work? How do I keep myself calm? What are my triggers? There's so much that comes into play. And we are distilling all of that information for you at Voices of Your Village podcast, where we bring experts in the field of early childhood and education and psychology and across the board so that you don't have to comb the internet for information. You get to show up and hang out and have shame-free, judgment-free conversations and insights into what it looks like to raise kind, empathetic, emotionally intelligent humans. I'm Alyssa Blask Campbell. I have a master's degree in early childhood education. I'm a mom of two, and I am walking this journey right alongside you doing this work. Come hang out with me at Voices of Your Village, and we can dive into real conversations with actionable tips. You talked a little bit about autism burnout and burnout that you experienced and how your autism was tied into that. I think this is an important conversation as well for two reasons. First of all, because I think so many of us have or are experiencing burnout as a result of the pandemic. I think that the pandemic PTSD is something that is affecting everyone that no one is talking about. And so I think that most of us are in some season of burnout without knowing it. And we're like, we've been coping at such a heavy load for so long. It's like when you have a newborn baby and you're like, I don't even recognize that I'm tired because I've been so tired for so long. It just feels normal. And I think we're kind of there right now with burnout, but I want to acknowledge what burnout might look like for someone who is neurodivergent, someone who has autism, how that might look different. And then also with this awareness that if you're experiencing burnout differently than I might experience burnout, you're also experiencing a whole lot of other things differently than I would experience them. And how can we keep an eye out for other people and have compassion and empathy that like everyone is experiencing the world really, really differently all the time. That's a big, long question. I'll let you say that. Yeah. That, that second point is huge. And I think you totally made it, but I think that is one of the gifts about learning about different cultures. So whether it is autistic culture or black culture or a certain immigrant group, it's like when you learn about that culture at a deep level, you're like, oh, I'm missing shit all the time. Yes. There's so much all of us don't know. Yeah. And that's when we say like diversity is strength to me. It's not just about making accommodations. It's that the accommodations get really easy to make in most cases when you're like, oh, this is why that's happening. 
Right. Anyway, that being said, so there are a few things. This is going to sound a little like a science lesson. So I promise there is a reason to learn this, which is beyond autism, which is to say this is happening in different ways for different people all the time. There's concept of interoception. Interoception is your understanding of what's going on inside your body, such as, are you hungry? Do you need to poop? Are you cold? Do you need some water? Your feelings of your body. And I remember this thing always bothered me. My friend Heidi was amazing at this. And I think she's like, was super sensitive. She would always say, I'm a canary in a coal mine. She would Mm -hmm. say to me like, I don't eat broccoli because it makes me gassy. Or she would say, oh, I only need one Tylenol capsule because it will make my headache go away. Or that made me a little bit nauseous. And we ate 10 things. And she would be like, the almonds made me not. I'm like, we ate 10 things. How'd you know it was the almonds? How do you know you need only one Tylenol? Like, how do you know that broccoli makes you? She's like, I just pay attention in my body. So before I was diagnosed, I thought this was some witchcraft. I just had no idea what people were talking about when they would say like, do you like this? Or does this feel good? And when I started therapy again, before I was diagnosed, my therapist for three years, the only thing we talked about was how do you feel? And I would Mm -hmm. be like, how do you feel? How do you feel? And she'd be like, well, just start with your toes. How do your toes feel? Toes. How do my toes feel? And literally, I don't know what the hell I was doing in therapy. I would just try and identify how do you feel? So interoception is the senses inside your body. And then the second concept I want to teach you is alexithymia. So that's your ability to identify your emotions and express your emotions. Most autistic people cannot do either thing. And this has to do with there are we all have a certain number of connections in our brain all day long. Your synapses connecting your brain are being pruned, but autistic people don't have that same pruning ability. So we have all these extra things in our way, which means we can get really good. We can dive really deep into solving. How do you write a book in three days? Mm. Like, because we have so many connections, like you can see patterns. You can't see Mm. a great example of Sherlock Holmes. Like if you've ever been blown away, how did he notice the knife was a quarter of an inch to the right? Cause he's autistic. He has lots of extra Mm. senses. We cannot identify if we need to go to the bathroom or whether we need one or two caplets of Tylenol. Are you kidding me? (laughs) Or am I happy or am I sad? So a lot of people will confuse this with empathy. Autistics are highly empathetic. We don't have an empathy problem. We have an alexithymia problem. We can't identify our emotions. And because of our alexithymia, we also can't read facial expressions. So we don't have the same experience with feelings as you. And that makes no sense. You're just going to assume I will know when I'm hungry. You're going to assume I will know when I need to pee. How could I not know when I need to pee? So where autistic burnout comes from is like, you would say, I'm tired, or I need to eat better. My stomach's been off. You would be able to identify these needs. Maybe they're emotional needs and you would be be able to get them met or not, but you would identify them. So you would at least know it. Autistic burnout doesn't come until like months or years after non-autistic or holistic people get burnout. So for most people, let's say you're a nurse and you're burned out. An autistic person from where an holistic nurse would go, an autistic person would go another three years of being in that state of duress, but they are unable to identify that they are dysregulated. So when autistics burn out, it is often for years. It is a very difficult burnout. It's a much deeper burnout. And what our burnout looks like is we already have these sensory issues. So we're hypersensitive. Lights are brighter. Sounds are louder. Textures are more textured. We deal with a lot of sensory overload. And when you're in burnout, it gets even more. So going outside on a sunny day becomes impossible. Watching TV becomes impossible. Most of us, including me, have auditory problems. So we couldn't even like listen to a podcast or a piece of music that might have been our favorite piece of music. So a lot of the things you would do to treat burnout. We now can't even do, we can't take a bath. 
most of us have issues with baths and showers. So before maybe we were coping, we were coping, we were coping, and then we hit the wall and now we have hygiene issues. Now we're not going to the doctor because we have hygiene issues. So we end up having bigger physical health problems. Maybe we don't get a glasses prescription update and we're having visual problems. So autistic burnout is like so much further along than autistic people can imagine. And that's definitely what happened to me in the pandemic is I had a whole bunch of systems and processes and rules that kept me regulated. I had identified what they were. It took me eight years to identify what do I need to stay regulated. And I have a lot of privilege. So a lot of it costs money. So I had staff, like the two people on either side to take me out of rooms. I had sensory rooms. I had very specific clothing and all of our clothing changed in the pandemic. Remember? And like, yes, it was soft clothing, but I like hadn't figured out the right clothes. I had food. So I was going into an office where I worked and there was food that was delivered to me because interoception, I forget to eat or I eat too much. And so I had everything apportioned and all of those systems were gone overnight. Mm. And so that was one of many reasons why I was already in burnout. I just didn't know I was in burnout. And when you took away all of the supports that I had Mm. basically like paid for when those supports were gone and there was no way to get them, that was it. I just completely couldn't get out of bed for over a year. Thank you so much for sharing that. I'm thinking about this. That was so helpful and vivid the way you explained that. And I'm also thinking about that in terms of kids in school and access to support. When you talked about supports being taken away and that happens a lot with kids who have additional accommodations or supports in schools and they change schools or something happens within funding, et cetera. Doing it. Yeah. There was just a who had a cute reading nook and said, Hey, if you guys get tired, go to the reading nook. Mm -hmm. And then Ron DeSantis takes away all your books. So there's Mm -hmm. no reading anymore. Yeah. That's super, super helpful. And so I think creates such a, I want to say a great visual, but like gave a really great depiction of what this looks like and how it comes on over the long term, And then also where your support differs from where my support would, would look like. I love that you mentioned the example of baths and showers, and that actually triggered me to want to ask you about self-care. I know Mm -hmm. we're getting short on time. So I'll have this be kind of our last talking point here, but for, I think a lot of the messaging we hear culturally on social media is like, don't forget about your self-care, do your self-care, blah, blah, blah. In the pandemic, you know, prioritize your self-care. And then you're like, yeah, like a bath is going to be really triggering to me. Yeah. Can you talk a little bit about self-care and, and that notion for you? Well, yeah. So for autistic people, one of the things that is self-care for us is stimming, which can be like rocking or certain movement or ways of sitting. For me, I have a lot of like stim toys. Like I do the bubble poppies, you know, the bubble poppies toys and stuff like that. So, okay. Growing up, I would always have a candle burning and I would always stick my fingers in the wax. And then I would always Mm. ruin our kitchen table. And my mom would yell at me. And maybe your kid does this. Hello, bumps there. She's like, stop playing. You're a pyromaniac. Stop playing whack. I didn't know I was stimming. Yeah. So that was sensory seeking activity. And if my mom just knew, which there was no way to know I was autistic. I'm not mad at my mom. But if my mom knew I was autistic, there are many better stim toys Mm -hmm. than the family candle on the kitchen table. It's a recently burned hot wax. Yes. Maybe we could do a little better. So We didn't know that at the time, but there are like amazing sand toys. And I have these like magnet toys that Mm -hmm. kind of like wax in a way. Mm -hmm. So that is a huge self-care thing. But if you said to somebody else, like play with bubble poppets, you know, buy yourself a poppets wallet, like necessarily going to make sense to everyone. Totally. Yeah. That's a big one. The other things that we uh, like autistic people, for me, one of the things that self-care is putting one song on repeat, maybe 30 or mm. 40 times. Right I now. think you mentioned that in one of your diary yeah. posts on Facebook. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. It's very weird, but right now it's rise up by Audrey day. Oh my God. Mm. Audrey day. So good. But I, if I'm like freaking out and I just can't regulate, like it feels like I'm having heart palpitations, nothing's happening. Nothing's wrong. No one's hurt. I'll just put a song on over and over. And by the way, I might put that song on, on my headphones while you and I are talking. And I promise you won't die. So I'll use one earphone 
if I'm in like the grocery and your brain, your brain can like navigate both. I'm not listening to it. I mean, I'm listening to it, but it's like, I am being soothed by it. Mm -hmm. So so interesting. But you would think I was being rude. I mean, not you necessarily personally. One might think I was Mm -hmm. like being rude or dismissive, but really I listen better if I'm not all fucking freaked out. I'm imagining that in an office context where like a cubicle environment or open workspace environment where someone has AirPods in or something and someone else comes to talk to them and the person doesn't take them out. And you're like, I guess he doesn't want to talk to me, or I guess they don't want this, or I guess they're not really invested or they don't care. Yeah. I mean, that's such a great example um, where we jump to this conclusion that's totally wrong. (laughs) I love that. Nobody's an asshole. I mean, some people are assholes back to Ron DeSantis again, but (laughs) most part, people are not assholes. Everyone is just doing their best. Yeah. Everyone's trying to get their needs met. And there is so much we have learned about autism. How many other things do we not know about? Like I could not have been diagnosed at, you know, uh, what'd you say? Your friend was 12 or your friend's Mm -hmm. kid was 12. Yeah. yeah. Like when I was 12, it wasn't available. What's going to be available in the future? Like we are learning more and more. Everyone's different. Everyone has their own needs. I think you're the biggest work you can do in life is identifying what are my personal support needs? Mm -hmm. How do I get them met? in a way that works for my community and the people around me. And that like, that to me is what learning about neurodiversity is about. Like, yes, be nicer to autistic people for sure. But the real advocacy behind the advocacy for my cultural group is like, we just all be a little bit nicer to each other. You just have no idea what went into somebody's decision to cut you off at that stop sign. Whatever, all the things everyone another great example, like another where you feel so wronged. (laughs) Right. Yeah. I really I was just I was house hunting today and I saw a house that was obviously designed by not an autistic person. Mm -hmm. And there were mismatched cabinets. They were two different shades of green, but they were also not on the same like paint chip card. Mm -hmm. They were like Uh one was like a brighter and one was like a duller. So they weren't. And I was like, can't be in this room. And like, I could completely see that real estate agent being like, those people were rude. Like, well, like, but I was like, I can't buy this house and I can't be in this room and I don't need to see another room. I don't need to pretend to you I'm going to buy yeah. this house. I could just yeah. tell you right now. And they're like, you could replace the cabinets. I'm like, I could replace the cabinets, but I'm not gonna. Mm-hmm. It's at the top of our budget and it's brand new and you just put these cabinets in and nope. Like that sort of straightforwardness, Like, I think that's hard for people to deal with, which is why I say I have to have done my own work here. Mm-hmm. But it's like, what am I going to waste your time? It's better if I spend an hour of your time. You want me to pen? I'll waste an hour of time. I'll waste and an all hour. of us who are people pleasers are like, oh my gosh, I would have spent the whole time doing like the whole entire house tour just to be polite. And I would have been annoyed the whole time. I would have been tired when I was done. It would have gotten into time where I could have seen actual houses that I like. like yeah, all these or your kids. Yeah. Like just see your kid. Just like, yeah. yeah. So oh I think it's definitely a gift to everyone if we can be. And that's not not kind. If anything, it was kind. Like go home. Yes. Have- yeah. That's, and that's such an interesting idea. And this is around social conditioning that to give someone time back is a gift, but they can interpret that as she's being really difficult. Like, and, but you've given them, like, you've made their job easier, but because of the way we're conditioned, when someone is direct and doesn't, isn't pleased by something that we've made an effort around, then all of a sudden it's like this place for feelings and offensiveness and defensiveness and like all this different stuff. So really, really fascinating. And so I could talk to you for like seven more hours. And I want to be really respectful of your time. I know you have a lot going on in your day. And with everything that we, with all of our special things that we brought to this call, we still made it happen. I'm so proud of us. We we did. Made it I am very proud of and us. And this was a really, really fantastic conversation. I know that this is going to help so many of our listeners. I think it's going to help our listeners in terms of how they interact with the world. But I also anticipate that there's going to be some moms who listen to this and they're going to be the people who send messages either to you or to me that say the same thing that is the message you shared earlier that, oh my gosh, I've been seeing, I've seen this in my head. This explains my head. So, so significant. So thank you for this work. I said it earlier, but you don't owe the world this work, but it's making such a big difference. And I'm so grateful. Last question. Can you tell people how you're currently showing up as a shameless mom? I can. I knew you were going to ask. So (laughs) 
My son, I think I said this, my son is graduating this year and I read this book. I'm going to just recommend it to everybody who has a high school student. It's called It Goes So Fast and it's called the, uh, the subtitle is The Year of No Do-Overs. So I have not loved a lot of the motherhood journey. And I have focused a lot on my career and hired a lot of nannies to do the things I don't like, like making school lunches or doing laundry. But senior year, I am so excited about college tours, college applications. So I'm being super selective. I'm only working with a couple authors at a time. I'm still doing all my author work. I'm doing ghostwriting and editing and publishing. And I have a great team, but I it's the year of no do-overs. So I am limiting my work hours and I am dedicating this year to actually enjoying every second of being the mom of a senior. I love that answer so much. Can you tell people where they can find you, where they can connect with you, work with you, um, follow you, follow your diaries, all anything else you want to share in terms of how people might be able to reach out to you? Yeah. Um, so a couple of things. So all this autism stuff that we talked about, I talk about it in much more detail on the autistic culture podcast. Oh, that's right. I thought of that earlier and I meant to ask you about that. So yes, yes, yes. Okay. Go yeah. keep going. Um, my co-host Matt Lowry is a psychologist and we work together to talk about the science and the culture of autism. So if you did recognize something about someone you love and you want to learn more, you can dive in. It's super fun. There's a little bit of science, but there's a lot of pop culture references and it's not heavy and there's no complaining or whining. You will love it. And that's autisticculturepodcast3words.com. That is the best way to check my autism work. And then if you want to learn about writing books, my our publishing company is Difference Press. So like make a difference, Difference Press, P-R-E-S-S as in Sam.com. And that's where all the good publishing stuff is. And if you want to learn more about book writing or more of my socials, you can connect with me on all my socials, which is where I share my unmasking diary. Love it. So I have the socials here for Difference Press, but I will also add, should I add your personal Facebook as yeah, well? Yeah, you can. Okay. Yeah. Okay. I just wanted to get consent before <laughs> yeah. everybody follow her personal page. Okay. So let me make a note, personal. Yeah, FB. all my, all the difference press socials will be about book stuff. But if you follow me on my personal Facebook and also on TikTok, I'm linguistic autistic. And I talk about my autism stuff there. So, okay. Oh my goodness. This was so fantastic. If you ever want to come back and do talk about anything related to this conversation or anything else, you are always, always welcome here in the Shameless Mom Academy. Yeah. I so appreciate this work. I'm so thrilled that we get to, like now we're, we're more than just Facebook friends now. <laughs> yeah, I love spending this time with you and I really do hope, I know it will help someone. I know someone's going to oh, hear it like for this sure. so much. So for sure. Thank you so much, Angela. Thank you for having me. Thanks for showing up. And I hope your back feels better. Take a time and all. <laughs> Thank you so much for joining me in the Shameless Mom Academy today. I really, really appreciate you being here and I hope you learned something new. As always, this conversation will be continued over in our free private Facebook group. You can join that group by going to shamelessmom.com forward slash Facebook to connect with other shameless moms just like you. Additionally, if this is your first time listening to the show, know that we are here every Monday and Wednesday with a brand new episode. So make sure you subscribe, go to whatever podcast app you use and subscribe to the show so you never miss an episode. You can do that directly if you go to shamelessmom.com forward slash review that will put you in Apple Podcasts where you can click on the subscribe button and you can also leave a review. If you scroll down a little bit, you can leave a five-star review. You can write a few sentences letting me know what you thought about the show. If you let me know how the show has impacted you in becoming a more shameless mom, you might be nominated to be shameless mom of the week. Also, please share this episode. My goal is to help more mamas be more shameless every damn day. So please do share this episode. You can take a screenshot of the episode on your phone and then share it out on social media. Tag me at the Shameless Mom Academy on Facebook or Instagram. I'm quick to reply and eager to send you Facebook love and love to be connected to all of you. So again, thank you for being here. I can't wait to be back here again with you in just a couple days. And until then, no matter what you do today, make sure you do it shamelessly.
right? It's us, Blair and Molly, your old pals from Toddler Purgatory. Two moms who are also actors, who are also creative beings, who sometimes feel stuck. And this is our new podcast, Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. What happens when your creative spark just seems to disappear? Gone. Poof. Bye. See ya. What happens when life gets in the way of your creativity instead of nourishing it? That's what happened to Molly and me. We felt like the thing that drove us creatively stopped working and impending doom had in fact invented. Totally. So we decided to do something about it. And that was steal ideas about getting unstuck from the most creative people we can find. We talk to guests about how to break through the mucky, gluey, sticky wall that can get between you and your creativity. We hear about their journeys, their successes, their challenges, and even their bougie coffee shop orders. And we're not just talking Bob Ross type paint on paper artists here, though we talk to them too. We're talking to actors, creative directors, dancers, and people who are working hard to be their best creative selves in a world that can sometimes feel real uncreative. We all have something to teach each other, so let's steal their ideas together. Join us, won't you, as we deep dive into how to unstick ourselves from the life gunk that can get in the way of our creative freedom. Pandemics, school calendars, world events, lack of sleep, oh, get out of their life gunk. And let's get back to your best creative self. Subscribe to Unsticking It with Blair and Molly. You're not going to want to miss an episode. Unsticking It with Blair and Molly, because sometimes life sucks. <laughs>